Today we're talking about Governor Hochul's state of the state. With me are Ken Gerardin, Bill Hammond, and Cam McDonald, all of the Empire Center and the Government Justice Center. Um, to start, let's get the budget out of the way. So the state of the state is not the budget presentation. Um, we'll get that next week, next Tuesday. She'll be the governor will be delivering the her budget presentation, and then we'll get a better sense of of the spending side of this. But just quickly, Ken, um, there is a difference in what the projected deficit's going to be. We're saying it's going to be eight. The governor said she thinks it's going to be four. What's the deal with that? We'll get a lot more information when the governor issues her updated financial plan as part of her budget proposal next week. But basically, the state went from having a budget gap in the neighborhood of $9 billion for the coming fiscal year to closer <clears> to four. <throat> the biggest change in there was essentially the governor saying uh, that they had found about $3 billion in savings. That is money that was appropriated that wasn't spent last year that's going to get rolled over to next year. So the fundamental problem with taxes and uh, with revenues and expenses pointed in different directions still remains. We've just really we've just sort of wallpapered over the worst of it. There's been a slight recovery in tax receipts, but we went from having a roughly nine billion dollar gap in the coming year to a nine billion dollar in the gap or in the uh, in the year after that. So the problem still remains, and she's going to have a tough nut to crack when we see that budget. Yep. Okay, great. thanks. Um, all right, so again, we're going to focus on the speech, not the budget. Uh, there was a theme, it seemed, this year, or at least there was a word that was used a lot. It was affordability. Uh, I don't think that what I think affordability means and what the governor thinks affordability means is the same thing. Bill, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, so um, I think I, I saw somewhere that the word affordability appeared in her speech 60 times, or, or maybe that was in her printed message. I don't know. But but yeah, it was definitely a theme. And I think you've heard a lot also from the legislative leaders. My take is that, that like they're, they're tacitly acknowledging that the state um, is losing people. I mean, that's the, the ultimate measure of the state's performance is what's going on with this population and its population is shrinking. It has been for uh, several years. Um, and so they need an explanation for why it's shrinking and what they're going to do about it. And I think their their answer to that is affordability. So and I think they're putting their finger on a legitimate issue. The cost of living in New York is high. Um, but their response is not to lower that cost, but to shift it around, to to subsidize expenses, to have the state pay and, and therefore the taxpayers to cover more of those expenses. And that really just means that you're taking an existing cost and you're just making somebody else pay it. And usually in the process, you're making those overall costs higher. And so I just don't think that's the the, the correct uh, way to approach this because it's um, it's it's just shifting the problem around and, and aggravating it rather than really addressing the drivers of costs and and one of the big drivers of costs is state government in in the way it it uh, designs its tax policy and its regulatory policy. 
Yeah, just to follow up on what Bill was saying with respect to seeing more cost shifting than actual cost reduction. That was a theme that you that a sub theme that came up in the governor's talk about housing, where she's still really focused on having affordable or subsidized housing as opposed to just essentially getting state government and local government out of the way to allow more organic housing development. And it wasn't mentioned much, but it's been a major theme in the governor's discussion of energy policy, where there's this talk about for certain household incomes, capping their energy bills at 6% of their income and essentially shifting those costs to everyone else. And there can be a lot of really bad knock-on effects when you when you start doing that, specifically because people no longer have an incentive to conserve when you start capping their 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 costs. And that creates an even bigger shift to everyone else and to businesses. So the 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 cost shifting really needs to be isolated here and called out and and avoided because that's what's brought us to where we are with a lot of these problems. So if the theme of the governor's state of the state was affordability, the theme of this talk seems to be about <laughs> shifting costs, I guess. Um, Cam, let's take a little uh, detour. Cam, you wrote last week about a blog post, post titled State of the State of the State. Um, the state of the state is different than it was in the past. And so how did you see that sort of comparatively this year? So it was um, uh, more of the same and, and more of the opposite. Uh, as I wrote last week in 1821, the Constitution was amended to specifically stop the governor from coming over from to the legislature and giving uh, uh, the address in the form of a, of a speech. And one of the reasons for that was the unnecessary cost that was inflicted on the state, which you know happened yesterday. We, there were you know un, unnecessary costs involved with yesterday's stay of the state, but also uh, because the legislature then wasted time with eleven days of debating and responding to the governor's uh, speech. Uh, the opposite, the inverse is true now, where it's more of a pep rally and campaign event, starting with lots of applause for the elected officials, applause for applause lines, and kicking off with what is essentially a campaign uh, commercial. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it, there's just an invitation there to get carried away. The governor bragged about having 204 uh, proposals. As I noted last week, Al Smith, when he gave the first in person, address in 100 years only covered around uh, 30 topics. So uh, there's there's been significant inflation. And yeah. Cam is a recovering royal subject. So anytime the governor behaves like a monarch, it's it's deeply upsetting to him. Well, we'll let that hang, I guess. Um, so the governor, you know, during the speech, one of the I think one of the highlights from my perspective was um, she, she had a line where she said something like, you know, She's going to protect our money from politicians who want to raise our taxes. So that seems great, um, if that's true, I guess. So let's stay on this idea of affordability for a minute. Um, you know, we're, I'm going to say the S word again. So there was a lot of ways that talking about shifting costs, essentially, is what they boiled down to. It's, it's both you, Ken, and Bill just explained. Um, but in each individual area, we can dive into a little bit about how affordability plays into what the governor's proposals are. And those don't seem to match up all of the time. If we start by talking about energy, obviously, the state's got this huge energy plan that's being implemented. It's been happening 
in some way, shape, or form since 2019. It's huge. It's far-reaching. The Empire Center has done a ton of work on this. Ken, you've been sort of following this really closely for a lot of years now, um, since certainly before 2019. Talk a little bit about how the energy policies and these big goals that we're setting and how that's the future for New York is going to have an impact on actual affordability and costs and reliability. The state has these pretty far-reaching goals about reducing its carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions, uh, you know, first by 2030, then by 2040, and then ultimately by by 2050. And one of the major one of the points that came up in the governor's remarks yesterday was, uh, at least in her policy book, and possibly I believe her in her remarks, was talk about eliminating something known as the hundred foot rule. And for roughly a century, New York utility law has given people essentially the right to electric service and to natural gas service at their home. And there's a proposal to decouple those things. So you would still have right to electricity, but you wouldn't have right to natural gas as you built buildings. And the utility companies would be restricted in terms of how much they had to charge you to bring new gas service to your house. Essentially, they'd be forcing people to assume an unreasonable part of bringing new gas service to their house. The, the first part of this that is silly is that the state's goal over the past few decades has been to get as many people as possible off of heating oil onto natural gas because it burns cleaner. The The costs are have generally been lower and uh, it, it, it takes a lot. It takes away some of the reliability concerns that we have. Um, so for the state to suddenly be saying, no, we want to move away from that and electrify everyone when it's uh, when that's been our previous policy really, really turns on a dime. And uh, it's also going to present a big challenge with affordability long term. And that's by the advocates own admissions. A lot of these a lot of the folks who have been involved on these natural gas pushes have said that their long term goal is to make it so that natural gas isn't economical for anyone. So what we're seeing is the governor basically getting into the conversation, not going as far as some of the extreme voices have on this, where the extreme voices want to essentially take entire neighborhoods off natural gas, whether people want to or not. Um, but long term, this is going to be a really big challenge for affordability. Yep. <clears throat> so um, sticking again with affordability, let's talk a little bit about healthcare. Um, there wasn't a lot in the speech yesterday, Bill, but there all are all sorts of confounding factors that are going to have an impact on on not only the legislative session but on the budget as well. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, so the state of state. I mean, I think it was Mario Cuomo used to say, "The state of state is the poetry, and the budget is." Oh, that's probably I'm getting that quote wrong, but that's that's kind of the divide. The state of states when you talk about your goals and your aspirations, and then the budget is where you supposedly give the details. There's a probably 95% overlap because so much now of the governor's agenda goes into the budget because that's where they have the most political leverage. So all kinds of not truly budgetary stuff will go into the budget. And so a lot of the details of what you talked about yesterday. We won't see in, until a couple of weeks when she gives this. Um, and as a result of that, the state's fiscal situation is constraining her agenda. She she knows she's already signaled she doesn't want to raise taxes. She knows she's going to have to cut spending or at least slow it down in some places in order to budget to, to balance the budget. And so there was a disconnect, I thought, between some of the higher flying rhetoric of her proposals uh, saying, you know, so, for example, she said 
the nexus between mental health and and uh, crime in the streets and uh, quality of living issues in the cities is the defining issue of our time. Um, but when you look at what she's actually proposing to do, her top line proposal is I'm going to add 200 psychiatric beds. Last year, she proposed adding 3,200 psychiatric beds. Um, so she's, you know, she's kind of hoping we won't remember that and that we'll be impressed by the 200 beds. But that's sort of where she is. That's what that's sort of what she thinks she can afford, or at least that's what she can afford as an opening bid with the legislature. And maybe they'll add some on top of that. Um, you saw disconnects like that all over the place. She would she would lay out a serious problem and then propose a very incremental solution. Part of the problem is the state's been around for a lot of years. They've done a lot of budgets. Pretty much every um, politically viable solution there is, they've tried already. And so um, they almost always when they propose something, if you look into existing state laws and the existing budget, you can find they're already doing that. This is just a new name for the same thing. And if I can follow up on what Bill's remarked there, that's a dynamic that we've seen more and more since 2019 when the Senate, the Assembly, and the Governor's Office all came under the same party control, where where previously you saw a lot of conflicting visions coming from the, the Governor's Office and the Senate in particular. You now see more and more the governor basically trying to trying to put forward the most, you know, the, the reasonable offer knowing full well that you're going to have advocates, particularly in the Senate, trying to go to, to pretty far extremes. Well, and there's just sort of, again, I mean, we're going to, on the, on the spending side of things, as Bill, as you highlighted there, you know, you can lay out the problem, but if every solution you have involves spending money, at some point you either need to have more money or you need to spend the money differently. And this is gonna be a theme across all of these areas. It's true in energy and healthcare and education, it doesn't matter, right? Like you've got to do one thing or the other. So there have to be some efficiencies that can be realized in healthcare, especially if the governor is right and the biggest problem of our age is sort of the implications of mental health on all these other areas. So how do they do that? Where do they find the money to get from you know, if 3,200 is the right amount of psychiatric beds, how do they get from 200 to 3,200? I mean, the um, in that case, a lot of the money that goes into those mental health beds is capital. And so they can, they can kind of drum up capital without throwing the budget too far out of balance. Um, but I did notice, so for, so she brought up affordability with respect to health insurance, and that was kind of music to my ears because I write a lot about the lack of affordability in health insurance. But then, again, when I looked at what she was actually proposing, she was talking about um, ending cost sharing for people in the essential plan, which is already essentially free. Um, it's a it's a state-operated health plan for people who are near poverty, and it and it has very little cost sharing and no premiums. And then on top of that, she wants to enhance the tax subsidies for Obamacare plans. Well, those are already heavily subsidized with taxes. So she's targeting two of the least uh, expensive forms of health insurance in the state and doing nothing about um, 
I don't know if it's still a majority, but a lot of us are on employer-sponsored insurance, and that's the most expensive form of insurance in New York, and also New York has the worst premiums in the country. There are things that she could do. She could um, rearrange the regulations around health plans to so that you're not requiring them to, to, to cover every last dollar of certain procedures. Um, but of course, she... In her speech, she rolled out yet another mandate on insurance. In this case, it's about no cost sharing for insulin. That's going to add to the cost of health insurance for for the plans that are affected by that policy. Um, so that's not an, so that that's a kind of example of the affordability thing. It's more affordable for the people who use insulin. It's it's a lot of people, but it's a minority of the overall population. But insurance becomes less affordable for everybody else in that policy situation. Yep. All right. Um, Cam, putting on your lawyer hat, because you are one, among many other great things, uh, there's a proposal in the state of the state to increase the number of state Supreme Court judges. What does that mean? So uh, the subject of Supreme Court justices has been around for a while. Currently, the Constitution caps them at, I believe, one per 50,000 residents, which then leads to um, appointments from the Court of Claims to various uh, Supreme Courts around the state. Um, but the, uh, removing the cap on Supreme Court justices has been, a, has been a component of reform efforts since a commission was uh commissioned by Chief Judge Kay back in 2006. And uh, what's been kicking around for a lot of years is simplifying our court system down to just uh, a few tiers from, I think there's around, I think there's 11 different types of courts in the, in the state. Um, and so what the governor's proposal is, is just one part of what's been a proposal that's been on the, the floor, that's been written up into a potential resolution to amend the Constitution. And she's looking then to amend the Constitution, but kind of just in in part and not really addressing an issue that her predecessor had embraced and maybe had a bit of momentum before the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that Judge Fiore tried to resurrect in 2022 before she left. And so, you know, it's kind of, if they're going to go through the effort of passing concurrent resolutions and putting a question before the the, the New Yorkers on uh, reforms to the court, they ought to go all the way with all the work that's been done for almost 20 years on figuring this out. And I'd add that there's, there's pretty broad consensus for it. There's only a, a handful of maybe legacy judges, some uh, some union interests and and others that are putting up a weak opposition to some form of reform. All right, on, a, on another topic, um, you know, we talked about healthcare, let's talk about the other big nut in the state budget is education. Um, the governor has a proposal to, um, I guess, push schools to get back to using phonics. The easiest way to explain this is phonics is sounding out words and, uh, you know, the hip way to do it until now, since phonics, I guess, um, is to look at um, sort of, it's called a whole language approach, but being able to recognize words rather than sound them out. And so, this is a good shift, I think, from my perspective and our perspective is to get back to phonics. Reading levels aren't great. Um, this would be a good thing. So that's that's nice. Um, it's good that she's doing that. 
besides phonics, education didn't really come up, right? And so there's a the the difference between policy and spending on education is a big push on in the education world has been, uh, at least in New York, has been on fully funding the formula and making sure schools are getting more money. And that's kind of been happening over the course of, um, I, I don't know, forever, I guess. And so there, is, there isn't really a question about whether or not schools are getting enough money from most reasonable people. They're getting lots of money. In New York, we spend more on a per people basis than um, every other state with twice the national average. It's, you know, they're, they're Seemingly, there's plenty of money to go around, but the results aren't that good. It struck me odd that there wasn't more in the state of the state on education than this on anything substantive anyways. What do we make of that? I think it it really speaks to the extent to which the legislature was showing love with money towards schools over the past 13 years, where instead of improving accountability standards instead of improving the status approach to assessments instead of doing anything really meaningful by and large the state's the only knob that the legislature and the governor together were willing to turn was to raise up was to increase the spending under during governor Cuomo's first few years there was a push to improve teacher accountability uh, changing the way teachers got tenure there were some changes to state assessments ultimately the problem here just going back to what the governor's doing on phonics the, the problem is that the state board of regents is not accountable to the governor. So the governor ultimately doesn't bear any responsibility for how schools perform. And New York is an outlier here. New York and South Carolina are the only two states that let the legislature pick who's in charge of the state education department. So if you're looking at the, those costs, those car, those costs aren't a problem. They're a lagging indicator. The real problem in New York is the accountability structure. So I'd add that I think the the switch to phonics or the push for phonics is, is a welcome admission that even though they're spending as much as they could possibly spend under the formula, that the techniques aren't working. And so maybe there's an opening here for further um, opportunities to explore other methods of delivering education and through school choice and different formats of education other than um, what's been happening in the past and leading to admitted failure. So you you suggest the checkbook isn't the only way to increase results? That's <laughs> a radical idea. <laughs> uh, so there were, I mean, you know, as Cam mentioned earlier, there were, you know, dozens and dozens of policy proposals in this thing. We obviously haven't talked about them all. There are a couple that um, don't get as much attention that maybe should. Ken, you've done a lot of work on the state workforce that came up yesterday. Um, what are your observations there? The governor is still putting a big priority on hiring. There are some state agencies that are below where they would like to be in terms of the mission that they have right now. The state workforce as a whole is probably bigger than it needs to be. The thing that's missing is any kind of measurement of performance. Uh, New York City does a great job developing performance metrics for its agencies. New York State doesn't. So it's hard to make the case that the state workforce as a whole should grow. Uh, One good thing that the governor is already setting in motion is the use of artificial intelligence. Now, people use the word AI a little too broadly, in my opinion, but she's given state agencies the green light to use AI, and that's going to reduce clerical work, potentially reduce manpower needs, maybe give people faster, better response times from state agencies on things like permitting. Um, 
which has the potential to make government more efficient. One thing she's also indicated she's going to do is require every state worker to go through diversity, equity, and inclusion training, and in some cases, anti-racism training, with, from which you can't really draw a straight line to improved agency outcomes. Yeah. Um, right. uh, one positive is that she is also investigating um, removing college degree requirements from certain job types throughout the state, which is has a positive development that already happened next door in Pennsylvania and, and, and should be a positive development here. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, let's move into, we've got a handful of questions in the Q&A. We'll start going through them. And if anybody on the listening side has questions, feel free to put them in. Um, for starters, we didn't include this and it was a, you know, certainly got a lot of media attention yesterday. Um, there was a there was a lot said about housing um, again an affordability issue, so the governor's proposal was similar watered down from what it was last year. What's the implication of that? I you know I like a lot of what I hear from her in terms of how she describes the issue. Um, she uh, she gave a big speech. It was actually uh, more than a year ago now where she said, look, the problem is not that we're not spending enough. We already spend more than any other state. The problem is that we're not, is not that we're not regulating enough. We already regulate more than any other state. The problem is we overregulate. I think that was kind of the gist of her message. And so her proposal was to try to pressure and cajole and incentivize local governments to roll back their regulations and allow more housing. I think that I think the general direction of that all makes sense to me. It's just that she couldn't get any buy-in from the legislature um, and some of the entrenched interest groups. And she still has that problem. And her, so her, she did a bunch of executive order type stuff, which I think probably pushed the limits of her authority. He's coming back now, recognizing the political obstacles she's facing. And she's going to, in order to make it more palatable, she's going to have to um, throw some money at it. Um, and and talk about affordable housing as opposed to just any housing. It's it's a really intractable situation. And she's not a particularly um, powerful governor, at least in terms of her political capital. And so I, I'm not all that sanguine about her getting it done. Yeah. Um, Ken, going back to the, um, the state workforce, <clears throat> as much as there was to sort of on the on the recruitment side, there were also some proposals in there that would um, increase things that they need to do. One of them being prenatal paid leave. Um, there were several of those. What kind of costs are we talking about associated with programs like that, whether it's realized or assumed? That's a that's a really good question. You're talking about a, a pretty narrow part of the population. I think the most troublesome part of the proposal, and again, this is without the governor having presented any kind of you know, cost benefit analysis to go with it, is the is the scheduling piece of stuff. If you have people, if you basically give people the right to time off as of right, you present some problems in certain industries with scheduling. And I'd say at the top line, my bigger concern would be the the signaling effect that you're having to the private sector. And that is the case with almost all these things where it could be a mandate that maybe has an aggregate cost of 2 million a year or 5 million a year, 
directly and then some some secondary costs from the resultant overtime or the problems that you have running into other state rules. I mean, let's not forget how complicated it is to pay people in New York. There are people who have gotten in trouble in New York for not giving their their employees checks once a week as opposed to biweekly. That's the that's the intensity of New York's labor regulations. So the the biggest worry I have whenever I see anything like this proposed is that people at home or you know in small businesses are saying what's next. And they know personally that there are things where if it if that is the thing that's what's next, either it threatens or kills their business model. Right. Yeah. And, and these things are cumulative, right? That what's next, that them falling off the cliff of it just becomes a lot of things that you have to deal with, um, which sort of seems to contradict this idea of on the regulatory process that Bill was just talking about of reducing these sorts of things. This is adding them on. And, and if I follow up on the just on the prenatal leave concept, like the idea is good. Giving your employees time off to get to prenatal appointments is good. It will make your employees more loyal. It's a nice thing. It's also just the regulations are more a gift to trial lawyers than they are a benefit to pregnant women. That is to say, they are something that trial lawyers are going to instantly be searching for opportunities to sue around. And that is kind of this the subtext of almost everything we hear that is ostensibly pro-worker. In reality, it's tried to try to create a new cause of action. Right. And there might be ways to create more flexibility in, in PTO and time off policies rather than mandating certain types of things, right? If you had more flexibility in ways to use it. But that's that's a whole different webinar, I guess. Um there's something really important we haven't gotten to. We were sort of joking in the office, um, or maybe we were more dumbfounded when the governor was releasing her priorities for the state of the state last week. The third one was about increasing access to swimming. And the underlying idea <laughs> you know, um, that people need to learn how to swim or they drown, which is true. Um, but to to assume that that is the third biggest problem facing the state of New York, especially considering all the things that we've just talked about, was sort of mind blowing um, to me, anyways. Um, and then we, you know, she sort of doubled down yesterday. Cam, there was a provision you pointed out to us um, that apparently there's a, there's a sunscreen problem in the state. <laughs> yeah, um, apparently we do have a sunscreen that. While most people reckon the quote is, while most people recognize its importance, access to sunscreen isn't always equal. Um, so I did not know that there were sunscreen deserts, but if you think it through, um, there's an excellent chance that there are people who live in neighborhoods where every shelf on their pharmacy is locked up. It's a huge bother to get a clerk, a surly clerk to come and open up that shelf for you. And it might just be one of those marginal purchases you just don't necessarily make because shoplifting has in your neighborhood has caused your store to lock almost everything up. So it kind of all does come around sort of full circle to an issue that is uh, that she did address, but sort of incompletely around the issue of retail theft with task force and state police task force and all kinds of efforts when it would really seem that the best way to address shoplifting is to actually arrest and prosecute the people who are doing the shoplifting. One thing about the pool proposal that didn't make much of a splash, thank you, is <laughs> the fact that, and this is something that Bill was touching on with respect to the psychiatric beds, this is borrowed money. 
So it's not irresponsible spending, it's irresponsible borrowing. And the state really has to keep an eye on the, you know, on the on the on the dashboard to see where we are with respect to our statutory limit on debt, because it's it's been it hasn't it's not like we built an extra three throughways or two new Erie canals. We've been doing a lot on these sort of gimmicky things like a sixteen million dollar pool in the East River, and putting them on the credit card. Yep. Well, and. You know, you can open as many pools as you want, but if you don't have enough lifeguards, you're not going to be able to run them. I mean, that's been a chronic problem in New York City. They have a bunch of pools and they have to constrain their hours because they can't find enough lifeguards. And that might have to do with the elaborate training requirements, they, you know, possibly excessive training requirements. And also, I believe there's some issues with the union for lifeguards, like, you know, making it difficult for new people to get in. and. Um, yeah. So, but that whole thing with sunscreen, it gave me a flashback to the governor's thing with hand sanitizer, where, you know, we needed hand sanitizer. So we had the prisons bottle up a whole bunch of it and spread it around the state. So maybe that's what we can do with sunscreen. But do you think it'll end the same way where there's like millions of gallons of sanitizer sitting on a run? Yeah. And it'll smell really bad. <laughs> Nobody will want to use it. All right. Um, so we're coming to the end of our time. I'll give you guys each a second to have a final thought and then uh, we'll let everybody get on their way. Ken, you want to go? All eyes on the budget to see how much this stuff is going to cost and how the governor is going to tackle the gap between revenues and expenses. Bill? I mean, I was surprised about something she didn't even bring up, which is the coronavirus pandemic. Um, it was the worst natural disaster hit our state probably in our lifetimes in uh, a century or so. And she had a section in there called ending preventable pandemics. And I got all excited. And then I saw, no, that's about HIV and hepatitis C epidemics that are already pretty well controlled with medication. I'm, I'm not against doing more on that. I just feel like we, we need a, a better, better defenses against um, novel viruses. Cam? I'll end on a positive note then, which is unlike me. Um, I, I, I appreciate that the governor is, a, is dipping her toe again into occupational licensing reform of some nature with proposing uh, um, New York entering into the to the the medical doctor and the nurse uh, license licensure compacts it's it's a start to um, uh, fixing or addressing occupational licensing uh, restrictions that keep people from moving to this state potentially and also maximizing scope of practice in the medical profession so um, at least she's she's trying again in that area which is a positive. Good. Well, let's leave it on a positive then. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you to everybody who uh, signed on to listen, and we'll talk to you all soon. For more news and analysis, visit our website and sign up for email updates at empirecenter.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Empire Center.